17 hours to complete the 140.6 miles. And NBC calls it the most grueling, challenging endurance single day um, in sports. Um, and so to, to kind of embark on the journey that we have embarked on is, has been deemed impossible. And so I'm, I'm grateful to be sitting here with you after the fact. Hey, Nick Nanton here, and thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. I want to make sure you don't miss a single episode of this show on YouTube. So before we continue, be sure to subscribe to our channel and ring the bell to get notified about our latest videos. You have the option to be notified for occasional videos or all of them. If you're on your phone, just go into your settings and switch on notifications. Thanks for watching. Welcome back to Now to Next. I'm excited about this show. I've got a guy I've known for years, and and now we're working on a project together, and we're getting to know each other. is fun. I, I enjoy the documentary process uh, because of the fact that uh, you get to know someone intimately, and you got to be careful, honestly, because I tell everybody that, like, I can't do much about something if someone becomes a serial killer, like, 10 years after I worked with them. But <laughs> barring, barring that, like, everyone, like... James and I are working on a documentary project together. We're going to be, our names are going to be married together for a long time. So you get to know each other along the way. And uh, I've greatly enjoyed it. Uh, I first met James at a, a seminar in New York city of all places when he was about to set out on a feat that I thought was super crazy. Turns out it wasn't as crazy as he could figure out. And we'll talk about <laughs> all of that in just a few minutes. Uh, known as the iron cowboy. Let me introduce you to uh, James Lawrence. Welcome to the show, James. Awesome, Nick. Thank you. Yeah, our paths have crossed a few times. And as you mentioned, we are going to be linked. So um, I won't let you down. Don't let me down. <laughs> all good, man. Uh, I won't let you down either. It's a, it's, it's a mutual deal, man. So I, I'm, I'm all in. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that project maybe too. It'll clearly come up. Um, look, you uh, are best the thing that you got best known for probably quickest when I first met you was uh, completing 50 Ironman distance triathlons in 50 days in all 50 states in 2015. So a, a full distance Ironman, we'll talk about Ironman too, but um, you know, there's, there's some things with the trademark of Ironman. So full distance triathlons, we'll call them. Um, you did 50 in 50 states in 50 days. So not only do you have to travel to a different state every single freaking day, you had to do a full distance triathlon. Um, tell people the distance of the swim bike run on, on those, would you? Yeah. So, so in, so swim bike run is triathlon, right? Anything like that. And then there's, there's four traditional distances. There's sprint Olympic, which they do in the Olympics half and then full, and they kind of double each time. And what we're talking about is that full distance and Ironman is just a brand. Um, they have done a great job of marketing and advertising this brand. So the full distance consists of a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, followed by a full marathon run, 26.2 miles. And that is a total of 140.6 miles. And the, the time cap in an official event is 17 hours. So you have 17 hours to complete the 140.6 miles. And NBC calls it the most grueling, challenging endurance single day um, in sports. Um, and so to, to kind of embark on the journey that we have embarked on is, has been deemed impossible. And so I'm, I'm grateful to be sitting here with you after the fact. Um, yes. So we're going to get into those, those details about what the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> yeah, man. So, uh, so 100, uh, 140 miles. The funniest part about it is you say a 2.2 mile swim and then you say a 126 mile bike ride or whatever it is. And then, and then you go to a full marathon. You're like, the the bike ride that sounds ridiculous, but it's wheels. Marathon sounds like a lot, but people do marathons all the time. Um, but it's at the end that could be tricky. And I think people like totally overlook the swim. I yeah. two point two miles of swimming. Two two point four. Oh, sorry, two point four. There you go. It's ridiculous. Like I mean, that's so much distance. I mean, give people an idea of like how far that is in an Olympic pool or like what is that really? Yeah. So it would be. There and back in an Olympic-sized pool, um, 39 times. Um, and, and so your fastest, your pro, your pro pro athletes are coming out just under 50 minutes, five zero. Um, and there's it's a cutoff of two hours and 20 minutes to get out of the water. And so just imagine two hours swimming open water in the ocean with the elements, with the currents, with the waves, um, trying to get to your markers. Um, it's physically exhausting. And, and to be honest with you, it is probably the biggest barrier of entry for people into the sport is they, they have this fear. They have this fear of, of, of swimming. They have a fear of open water. Um, it, people die. Uh, 
I hate to say it, but there's been a lot of deaths um, during the swim portion. And it's a combination of cold water, dark water, constricted uh, nature of the wetsuit, uh, uh, a pre-existing heart condition. And that's just the perfect storm. You know, when the gun gets fired off at the beginning of an Ironman, you're talking 2000 athletes, right? And man, my first time I did that, it was a huge wake up call. I got kicked in the face. I got punched. I got swam over top of, and you do, you have to learn how to like relax and calm yourself amidst everything that's going on. And, you know, I said, I said, it's kind of the biggest barrier of entry for people, but once you become proficient and learn how to relax, it truly is just a formality in the race. And so you do have that paradigm shift of what it is. That's so it, be, it, it becomes the biggest barrier of entry. And then once you develop that skill set, um, it, it just becomes a formality because it's the shortest part of the race. Like I can do it in just over an hour, but then the, you know, the bike ride is five hours and the run is three and a half hours. So in terms of percentages, that, that swim is just, you know, we look at, we look at it now as, as a warm up. but, but I do understand because when I first started, I had to, I had to learn how to swim. And it was very, very scary. It, it, well, so, so in many ways, look, what a great analogy. That's like sort of that's the price of admission, right? As you're saying, like that's the barrier to entry. Like so many of the richest things in life are beyond a door that you, uh, you're trying to figure out how to get into. And, and every one of the most valuable doors I've ever crossed through, and it's something I, I was talking with Chris Voss the other day, the you know, formerly the FBI hostage negotiator, about, like, about kids. And it's like teaching your kids that success is just on the other side of a bit of pain. And like how do you – how do you not say, all right, son, go run a marathon today. You're going to, you're going to learn from it because he's just going to fail. Like, how do you keep moving that goalpost and not break them? And of course, every kid's a little bit different, but that's, that's really what is, I'd never heard it explained that way. But that to me is like, oh, you want to do the Ironman? You're going to have to learn to swim 2.4 miles and then you can do an Ironman. And it's like, that's the barrier to entry. That's, that's the door. Well, and, and it's, it's so fascinating to look at it in that aspect because it does, it stops a lot of people from having that experience, whatever it is, right? That, that difficult barrier of entry. And then once they do it, they realize that wasn't, that wasn't that big of a deal. And it now becomes just, like I said, the formality of it to get to the meat of what you're doing. And it, it is, it is surprising that that's the element um, in life that stops most people because of the perception of it and the, 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 the unknown and the fearfulness of it. And I, t- I talk all the time from stages that, that fear is what paralyzes people. And fear, fear is just an emotion. And so, uh, you know, th- there's controversy whether the hardest thing to do is to just start. And, and I believe it is because once you start and learn that, it, it does. And what once was super scary is now the formality and just part of the journey and experience. Uh, I love it. Um, so you you did 50 and 50, and then we're obviously going to talk about you did you end up then doing during the pandemic, 101 full distance in 101 days in a totally different way, not in different States, all in sort of in your, in your home area. Um, and, and there's some cool stuff about that. But so before we get like just to that, I want to tease the people knew like why they should be listening. Um, Cause you're a freak of nature. That's why, <laughs> but, but also like, but you didn't, you know, you didn't start out that way. And I think that's so important for people to see, you know, where did you come from? Um, you were a great wrestler in high school, right? So tell me a bit about, you know, so you're, you're a teenage athlete like many of us were. T- tell us about that. Yeah, just grew up, uh, you know, grew up in Canada. I have three sisters, no brothers. None of my family is interested in sports. And so that became, that became my family. My extended family was all the sports teams that I got to be on and the coaches and the mentors. And like you said, gravitated towards wrestling. And that became my foundation of, of mental toughness. And then, you know, once you graduate high school and through college and it's hard to find a competitive outlet uh, or athletic outlet. I mean, you can go to the gym and I mean, that gets a little bit boring and stale and it's not really a competition. And then CrossFit came about and that's kind of dangerous. A lot of people getting hurt, but I came across, you know, triathlon just with my wife and we started out casually running and it was super hard. Um, and that's really one of my biggest platforms is that, that everybody's heart is different and, and you don't know what your passions are until you start doing things and having experiences. And that's kind of how I got into endurance racing is I didn't, I didn't grow up swimming, biking and running. I had to, I had to learn how to do it. And I had a very humble beginning. I, I struggled through that first swim. It was 400 meters. I mean, you're talking one tenth of, of what we do now. And, and that's easy. Uh, it was, it was a battle. And, and my journey didn't start with a marathon. It started with a four mile fun run that I, that I struggled through. And, and what's fascinating is like you said, people just have a hard time getting started on something because they think it's going to be so hard. It's going to define who they are. 
And I had yeah. those moments where I could decide, okay, is this going to define me? Is this going to be who I am? And this this event broke me, or am I going to dive in and learn and grow? And and I ended up falling in love with triathlon because of the community and the camaraderie and the the outlet to be competitive again. And so that was that was that was so fun for us. There's so much richness in there. I, I think one of the things that I really encourage people to do, and it is scary, is to find some aspect of your life or multiple that you still get to compete. Number one, um, I'm uh, Dominic Cruz is a great UFC fighter. I've met him a few mm -hmm. times, and and we're talking about a few things uh, coming up here soon. Uh, but the you know he's he's trying to get back, trying to win back the belt. Uh, and, and he's getting old for a UFC fighter, but like yeah. someone, there's a, a fight a few years ago when he lost and, and I don't remember exactly how he said it, but you know, the, the commentator asked like, how do you feel about losing? And he's like, I mean, I, I don't, basically he's like, I don't have a negative relationship with losing. It's part of the deal. Like you, you have to learn how to lose. Like it, it's just part of how you get better. And I was like. Golly, because like you know, I was at my son's like district soccer game last night, and so many things like frustrated me so bad. And some parents are, and there's two Christian schools, and some parents on <laughs> on on the other team mostly were yelling things like like we gotta learn to lose in life. Like it it's literally okay. It doesn't. I think you know you and I um we we share different sides of I guess the Christian faith. You, know, you being Mormon and I'm, I'm Presbyterian. Um, but like, but I think that learning to learning to lose is just part of the journey. And if we let things define us, like if you let a loss define you, well, then you probably really did lose by the way. And, and part of your message you're saying is that you didn't let that struggle define you because you wanted something else. But I, I find like for me competing in Emmys, um, losing just really sucks. <laughs> like it, I just <laughs> don't enjoy it, but it yeah. gives you that edge to want to continue going. And so I just encourage people to try to find something that brings a, a bit of that competitive spark to your life. And it doesn't, you don't have to go do 50 triathlons. You don't have to like, but I, I think you're, I know your life will be richer for, for just competing. And again, I think if nothing else, actually maybe changing your relationship with losing. Um, you know, one of my favorite jokes when someone's like bragging about, oh man, just finished a marathon. You just got to say, what, what place did you get? And like all, all, all the wind leaves the room really fast because you're just trying to damn finish the race. Yeah. Um, another funny one, I was training really competitively for tennis in high school. I was playing like three to four hours a day. I had a dream of going to the Olympics for Barbados. I'm a lefty, you know, whatever. And my tennis coach was an Ironman guy. And um, you would think that like someone murdered a hundred puppies if he asked me to run a mile. I was like, I cannot run a mile or it's like two miles. I was like in fit, but I like distance running. I just did not understand it. And now I run, I ran a thousand miles last year. I wasn't even really trying to get there. And I realized by October, I was like at 800. I'm like, Hmm, I can do that. And by the way, I think I made a lot of really bad decisions, like not really bad, but I made some negative, some health decisions that I ended up feeling really, I mean, well, you know, like really sore and, and overused by the time I got to the end of December, because I, I like basically cut out a bunch of my, uh, a bunch of my resistance workouts and stuff just because I wanted to hit this goal of a thousand miles. And I think in a lot of cases, we don't even know. I, I know you know a lot about this. We don't even know what we're in for when we yeah. set it out to accomplish a goal. And that's, that's part of the journey. Um, when you, so you, I'll fast forward a little bit in your journey. You did a, a turkey trot that you sucked at. Your wife signed you up for a marathon at mile 16. You realized it still sucked. And then you decided to do, uh, did you, you decided to do a, a triathlon or a, or a half or uh, after that? Just, just a sprint triathlon. Okay, sprint triathlon. Yeah, basically, I had, a, I had a friend who challenged me and said, "Oh, you you could never beat the time that I put up," and I was like, "Okay, here we go." You know, the whole competitive thing that you're talking about. Yeah. And then I just I just fell in love and dove into it. But I, I wanted to touch really quickly on on the concept of of failure um, that 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 we were just talking about. And I and I don't look at you know my missteps or whatnot of failures. I look at them as an opportunity. And what most people don't do is they you know, we, you talk about defining a moment and allowing a failure to define them. To me, it's those moments are an opportunity to take a step back and evaluate maybe where we misstepped. And because, you, you know, you let's say you get nominated for an Emmy and you're super pumped and you get it and you don't win. And then that's an opportunity to go, OK, look, how do you know, we got nominated and that's amazing, but we didn't win. So what were we missing? Where can we improve? And instead of going, you know what, I'm a I'm an Emmy loser. I'm an Emmy loser, right? You can go back and go, you know what? I, I, 
I'm going to learn from this opportunity and where can I improve in my journey to win the next Emmy? And that's the same way in life, right? You got to go through and you got to, and I think because we're at such a fast paced world, we don't take that time to go, okay, let's analyze what happened. What was my role in the failure? Yeah. I'm going to take accountability in what I did. And then what can I do to improve upon that to make it, to make it better? So I just wanted to to touch no. on that real touch on that really quick because I look at all of our failures and I, and I was grateful for the adversity that we experienced early in the 50 because it was like okay we're going to become master problem solvers because this is only going to get more intense it's only going to get more difficult and I am going to need this knowledge and experience to tackle what's coming later as the team gets more fatigued and more tired and more broken we're going to need that experience and so me the wingman the sunny we all looked at it as an opportunity to 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 gain knowledge for, for what was coming, we always took a step back and said, okay, what, what went wrong there and why did it go wrong? And how do we have that not happen again? I love it. I'm also, I, I'm sure you'd agree with this. I'm also finding for myself and I see it in other people that I, that I work with and the higher levels of success you get to, um, they're practically never a surprise. Like there's just a lot of work that goes into figuring out what it takes, like you said, yeah, like we've definitely gotten better from, from, from losing Emmys and other things like that. And and just from doing a lot more of it. I mean, I have later today, I have a call, um, that will be assuming the deal goes down, be definitely the biggest deal I have ever done in the, in the doc world. And it's like, I said for years, man, our stuff is as good as that. And, and then now that, that we would be on the same networks and stuff as that stuff, I'm like, it's not a surprise. It feels a little bit weird. Like, is this really going to happen? Am I a little nervous yeah. now it's going to happen? But it's like, but it wasn't a surprise because you did so like success is rarely a surprise. Like every now and then something crazy happens, but it really is the reps and doing the work and, and back to the running analogy. Now, like I got up to where I first did a 5k and I was like, man, that was brutal. But I started and I, it took me probably two years maybe, but I, I, I then somewhat liked run, but it probably took me 10 years to enjoy it. And I, yeah. I enjoy either running with somebody or listening to audiobooks. And I yeah. just, I just, and I now like, I'm such a nervous energy type person that like, I can actually get rid of the ADHD. Cause I'm like, my body's <laughs> getting rid of all that. And I can actually yeah. focus. Like I have some of my best thoughts. Like you'll often see me typing on my cell phone, taking notes or like, you know, while I'm trying to run, it's definitely ended up in a few near bad disasters. <laughs> well, uh, but anyway. I, I, I do that up on the mountain on my bike. So you can now imagine the, the, the <laughs> problems you run into while bike riding. <laughs> Uh, they amplify themselves. But I wanted to point out one thing that, that you said that I thought is absolutely brilliant. Um, and maybe you don't even realize it when you said it, but the, the, the mistakes that you made and the experiences that you had in your past Emmys has gotten you ready for the opportunity that, that presented itself that's coming up your way. And a lot of people are like, oh man, I was dealt a raw deal or this isn't happening to me. And, and it, it begs the question, like, are you showing up in your life on a consistent basis so that you're ready for the moment that that opportunity presents itself. And I just had a similar experience where I had an opportunity come across my desk and, and it would have been a great opportunity for many of the people on my team um, or, or associates that I know. And I didn't share it with everybody that I knew because they, they weren't ready for that moment and they hadn't shown up consistently. And so I, I think it's just so beautiful of, uh, and, and a really important message for people like, we truly don't know when an opportunity or, or a major pivot point in our life is going to show up. And, and if you're not ready, if you're not ready for that moment, it's going to pass you by. If you weren't ready for that, this call coming up, this potentially life-changing thing, one, it's no surprise to you because you've been showing up. You've been doing the work. You've been experiencing those setbacks. You've taken the time to uh, analyze those and get better. And now you're there. And it's, it's an opportunity. And so I want to encourage everybody, wherever they are on their journey, like keep showing up because you don't know when the next opportunity is going to come across your desk and you don't want to be not ready or sitting in the weeds just waiting for that to happen. You got to be out there. You got to be aggressive and you got to be consistent. Yep. Uh, you went through several career changes and other things during uh, this period of time. And I think one of the funny things is to me, it's a blessing and a curse. And I see it all the time telling stories like, yo, you, 
got into the mortgage business and then, you know, we've gone in depth about it. So like you had a really tough time when the market crashed and everything else, but like, we're literally going to spend eight seconds talking about it on this podcast and move on. And I always laugh, like, you know, someone's like, yeah, and I fought cancer for three years. And then I, it's like, you had to live through the, the, the hours, the days, the weeks, the months, the years, and, and everybody does on some part of their journey. I think it's a blessing that it just does become a blip. Uh, and you learned a lot from that when, when you move on to what it's really all about, but those things, I don't want to minimize the fact that those things are tough, sure. right? Um, one of my favorite things about you is that you, uh, when you were living at home, trying to figure out what to do with your life, you heard on the radio an, about an opportunity to make $10,000. Um, <laughs> if you could be the longest to stay on a Ferris wheel, this sounds like a Mr. Beast episode. I don't know if you know that, that YouTuber, but my kids watch it. Like longest one who can leave their hand on a hamburger wins a million dollars. Yeah. Like that, it actually sounds fun until you really watch it once or think about it. Tell me about your Ferris wheel, uh, adventure for 10 grand. And you had to quit your job to do it. No, I got fired from my job to do it <laughs> because because I, I literally – so it's the Calgary Stampede in Calgary, and I grew up just going to the Calgary Stampede. It's 10 days long. It's one of the largest rodeos, huge party. City, city, the city shuts down, and, and they said, look, we want to find out who can ride the Ferris wheel for the entire 10 days um, of the Stampede. And I was like, that sounds easy uh, because you know I, I grew up wrestling, right, and I had this mental toughness and really didn't love the job that I had. and early 20s, just trying to figure it out. It's a, it's a lost time period for all of us trying to figure out life. Um, and yeah, I just, I just, I got, I got the last spot on the ride and I was shocked at, as I was sitting there because their, their goal was absolute boredom. And I was shocked as people were getting off the ride and quitting and aban abandoning, um, abandoning kind of what they were doing. Um, and they lost sight of, of the prize or their goal. And, and really it came down to, they weren't comfortable with the conversations they were having inside their own heads. And, and for us, uh, or for me, I've just had a lot of alone time, a lot of think time, and I've been intentionally taken a step back to, to have that think time, that evaluation time. And so I sat on the, on the Ferris wheel for 10 days and it was, it was easy because I was comfortable with, with who I am and, and what I was. And like I mentioned, I did it. I got fired from my job <laughs> and, uh, and that's how I came down to the States. I literally hitchhiked a ride from Calgary to Utah and met my wife and we just celebrated uh, 21 years of marriage. Congrats, uh, mostly to her uh, for putting up yeah. with you for that long. Um, yeah, for I sure. got 20 years. I've got 20 years this year myself, so my wife is in equal right. misery. Let's let, not let them ever speak about us, please. Um, right. <laughs> the, so you won the 10 grand. And yep. and so uh, obviously it's becoming now it's easy. I mean, success leaves clues, but you have a you have a gift for pain and suffering. Like you are willing to endure more than most. Um more than most, 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 like what, what do you think it is that, um, <clears throat> tell me about your relationship with pain, uh, because it has to be very intimate. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I've grown, grown up and throughout my entire life, I've realized that we all have gifts and some people have the gift of, um, uh, an eye for filming or art or whatever it is, or, or what you do, you obviously have a gift in, in storytelling and creativity and, um, singing could be a gift or art. Um, I, I figured out that I have a terrible gift um, and it's the, the gift of suffering. And, um, and, and most people would say, well, that's the worst gift on the planet. And, and what I've realized is I, I do have a unique ability to endure pain. Um, and, and what we've discovered over the last 15 years is our willingness to intentionally suffer gives people hope on their journey where they're not suffering intentionally. And to me, hope is life. Without hope, you know, one of the one of the greatest books of all time is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And and his entire message is about hope. And he could tell the moment that somebody lost hope in the concentration camps um, during during those terrible times. And because they as soon as they lost hope, they would die. And and so to me, that means that hope is life. And if and if 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 our team's willingness to intentionally suffer gives somebody hope on their journey then then that that's one of the greatest gifts that that I can give someone and the talent that I have that I need to share the um one I'm going to put a pin in this one but I, I it's worth mentioning because people pick up on little nuggets but they want to and others just let them go but I believe you know one of my pastors told me one time that as Christians, we're called to have a different relationship with suffering. And I think it's a really, really just, there's a lot, there's a lot there. So those of you who are in for, in for that ride, maybe we'll have that conversation another time. But so you, um, 
you then decided to go uh, work for a company, a charity that raises money for water systems in Kenya, and you you got this crazy idea, and you called the Guinness Book of World Records and asked him a question. What was the question you asked? Yeah, you know, at the time I just said, "Hey, what's the what's the world record for the most half Ironmans done in a single year?" And uh, we just started to go down that world road because I was like, I was doing coaching at the time and helping athletes, and I was you know, we'd lost everything and I was trying to rebuild and I was like, okay, I've got to figure out a way to separate myself from the other coaches and a differentiator, right? In life, you, you want to make it to the top, you got to be different. And, and so like I started going down this road and realized that we were going to break the, the half Ironman world record. Um, and then the conversation quickly shifted to, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be the half Ironman world record holder. What's the record for full Ironmans? Um, and then, and you know, that took us on that journey. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, it just started out with, with trying to create our own lane and be different than everybody else. Um, and then, and then really once we started going down that road of extreme challenges and breaking the world records, that's when we realized we had that gift of suffering and we had an unbelievable team around us that knew how to problem solve at a really high level and to, to keep everything moving forward. And the, the, the rest of the 15 years is history. <laughs> All right. So you, you, and so you, if I'm correct here in my notes, you, uh, you did 22 half Ironmans and it was, it was a way to separate yourself, but also to raise money, uh, for the mm -hmm. charity. It's something, you know, people would be like, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll pay to see this freak show. Uh, so that, <laughs> that worked. Uh, and then, uh, so you got this idea to do, and that's right when I first met you was, you know, the 50, 50, 50. So 50 full distance triathlons in 50 states in 50 days. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's first of all, talk about the preparation and then let's talk about some of the controversy in that. Because uh, I think it's so interesting how how petty certain human beings can be and how noisy they can be. But let's talk about let's talk about it. first. Tell about you got the idea, exciting idea. Now you're like, I'm actually going to do this. What did you have to do to prepare? Because obviously it costs a lot of money to do things like that too. For sure, and you know that was a time period where we started to lose everything. And and people, you know, it's interesting because everybody knows what they want, but they're not sure what they're willing to sacrifice in order to get it. And so in 2010, we broke that half Ironman world record. 2012, we broke the full Ironman world record, 30 Ironmans through 11 countries. And right near the end of that race, 27 of 30, I looked at Sonny and I said, hey, there's more. I don't believe we've reached physical mental limits. I don't believe we've raised the money we want to for charity. I, I think we're onto something of, of human potential. And then that's when the 50 really came about. And, and leading up to that, I mean, it was a, a three-year training process. And I mean, the, the training started back in 2008 when I did my first Ironman and then I built on that over years and years and years. And when I did my first Ironman, you couldn't, I mean, and I, there's no way I could possibly conceptualize 50. But as I gained experience and started to hit all of these benchmarks, then all of a sudden it became possible and we started to put it together. And, and really you can't train for a seven week endurance challenge. You just have to become the strongest, most durable, fittest person you can to start the journey and then figure out a way to hold on and solve the problems throughout. And, you know, we were raising money for um, ch uh, childhood obesity awareness. And we were doing a, a 5K every single night that we invited the public to come join us. In every every state, we would put on a 5K at night. And all of those proceeds would, would go to the charity. And we ended up raising over $100,000 for the Jamie Oliver Foundation. And uh, that, that was so special for us to be able to do that. Um, but, yeah, it just became a journey of, like, okay, we're not going to give up on these kids because who are we saving um, by by doing that? And if we quit, that we lose that opportunity to to save and raise money and raise awareness. Now, it, so the first two records you set, if I'm correct, are the is the was the half Ironman and then the Ironman distance, yes? Correct. And and were the did you get recognized by Guinness for either of those or not? Yep, I have both those Guinness official world records. Okay, got it. Cool. And then there became there became some controversy in the fifty. Um, first of all, let's start talking about, I know that there are people, uh, in the Ironman world who, who essentially started talking some trash about what you were doing. Um, I don't know why they did what they did. Obviously we could speculate that for a lot of reasons, but what, what was the, what was the criticism, um, that they were giving you for doing this unbelievable feat of 50 full distances in 50 days? Yeah. And so, uh, the, the two previous world records, the halves and the fulls, they were all official events, sanctioned events. And then Guinness has has separated the two Ironman officially sanctioned events or the 140.6 distance um, that you cover outside of an official event, covering the distance. And and the criticism really came in hot when we put on our own events because there aren't 
full distance triathlons or Ironmans on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Iron Distance, every single state. And so imagine like one, how big the U.S. is, and then logistically to put on, coordinate, schedule 50 of your own events where the public has been invited to join you and participate with you. Uh, 50 in a row, no days off. I mean, you could just imagine the chaos and logistics that come from just event planning one event. And so for us to try to coordinate 50 events, courses across 50 states, um, it was just an uh, unimaginable task that we had to conquer and we had no money. And so this was, you know, bootstrapping everything. And, and one of the sacrifices we made is we, we moved out of our uh, small house and we moved into a lady, uh, lady's house um, who had Alzheimer's. And, and we, we cared for her for two years. In exchange for that care, it allowed us to live rent-free and utilities-free. And so we took all of that money every single month for my coaching, and we put it into a bank account to fund this project. And so it was self-funded. And the reason we had to self-fund it and couldn't do it with sponsors, because every sponsor we contacted, they they saw it as a massive risk and that the that the project was impossible. And so they actually said, we we can't afford to associate ourselves with a failure. And because they, they thought it was impossible, it wasn't going to be done. And our team, we knew we believed in it. And so, you know, in life, more often than not, you have to bet on yourself. You have to believe in yourself because nobody's going to believe in you except if it has to start with you. And that belief in conviction then then spoils spills over, but it, it, it does, it has to start with you. And so we we just we just set out, we bootstrapped it, we we funded it, uh, we made sacrifices in order to get that funding. Um, and then yeah, I mean the criticism just came out. And the, the biggest part was because uh, right near the beginning, day number seven or eight, it was eight, we got to call um, uh, Texas and we were being chased by Hurricane Bill. And for four or five days, we were in the middle of this hurricane that was destroying cities. And we got criticized for going inside <laughs> and doing it on a treadmill or on an indoor trainer and tracking the mileage that way, um, which we found totally ridiculous. Um, and just, I mean, it was completely unsafe to be outside. We have all the weather reports. We have all the, I mean, we, it, it would have been risking my life. I've got five kids. I have no, zero interest in risking my life. Right. And ultimately we were trying to raise money for charity and we're doing something that nobody else has done before. And so it's always funny because, um, it, it's a very small percentage, but that percentage is loud that believe they have a voice on the journey that you're on. And how many of us as adults fall into the trap of listening to that small percentage and that loud voice. And here's what here's an interesting statistic. I don't know if you've heard me share it before, but I did all the math. And that summer, the 50 days, it was um, 7,030 miles. And on day 19, after I was in a bike crash, um, I the very few, uh, very final miles of that day, we spent on an elliptical machine so that we'd have a chance that we were in the middle of a hurricane. I had crashed the day before and we were just trying to survive and get through that day. And then immediately the bullies came out, the, the Instagram people came out, the Facebook people came out, and they were like, you're done, your journey's over, it's, you're a failure, go home. And I was like, we can't go home, we're trying to raise money for charity, like that's the purpose here. I'm going to continue on, I'm going to hit a reset button, I apologize, possibly that was a mistake, maybe not, uh, but it was in the best interest of the, the campaign. And after you know the campaign was over, I'm so grateful we didn't quit, because you know, I've had an opportunity to speak in 48 countries and give people hope. But here's, here's how the math works out, 7,030 miles that year. And the, the, the moment that we were on the elliptical represented 0.24%, 0.24% of the journey. Could you imagine my salary if I was a 99.76 free throw shooter in the NBA? Or if I had a passer rating of 99.76, I'd be the wealthiest paid athlete in the entire world. I mean, it'd be insane. But, but that 0.24% came under intense scrutiny and criticism. And I wanna caution everybody that's listening to not let someone else's opinion of 0.24% of your journey dictate how you proceed, especially when they're, they're hiding behind a keyboard. And, and to be honest with you, they are just looking to bring you down because they're not happy in their lives. And, this, and, and I have learned from having conversations with these people and reaching out to them on social media, trying to defend our position and whatnot, they're just they're just scared and they're unhappy and it, and it comes from a place of jealousy and once they understand where you're coming from then their their tone changes and yes. they 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 have empathy and they they become more compassionate because and and to me the biggest lesson that I've learned is to navigate my journey very carefully on who I'm judging and who I'm 
casting the first stone on, right? Because I don't know how they develop their perception, their perspective. And everybody has their own unique journey and they're making decisions based on their current belief patterns and their current belief systems and, and the way they were raised and their environments. And I think as humans, we need to just be a little bit more kind, a little bit more ca uh, cautious on how we interact with people and, and, and get as far away as we can from this culture, uh, cancel culture that we're experiencing because dude, everybody's journey is unique and it's hard to have a judgment on, on the way that you're handling something because I have no idea where you're coming from and where that space is and what it looks like. Yeah, it's, and it's so hard because obviously we all seek approval in our own ways, but you, know, you can't undo a lifetime of someone else's pain and bad decisions or whatever else, like their circumstances. You just can't do it. So one of my favorite interviews I, I ever had done uh, to this day is uh, Anthony Scaramucci. If you remember him, he was, uh, in, he was a hedge fund manager, went to Harvard Law School, but he was in politics for like 11 days. He worked as, uh, <laughs> for Trump. And he, he, he said some things that he now greatly regrets to a guy he thought was sort of a family friend. And he got you know kicked out of the White House very unceremoniously. The world just turned on him. And he had done nothing to them. And, and he, it was really interesting hearing his perspective. Like once he's like, man, it really shook me to the core but once it was over, it was like, oh, like I didn't die. Like my good friends are still my good friends. Like I really, it was like a great delineator of like who is real in his life and who is not. And I, in some ways, I don't ever want that experience. <laughs> don't anyone think I do? But I was sort of jealous of the freedom he now had from from uh, criticism, which in a way you you have as well. So I think that's, that's just a really big message for people. And I know a lot of people, myself included, are afraid of like that day that 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 guy who's really you know grumpy in his mom's basement t tries to take everything you're doing and make it sound like your motives are wrong and you're a bad person and you're whatever like it's that's a fear that I think a lot of us live with right so it's it's really inspiring to hear how you deal with that yeah and and to be honest with you um, I, I don't regret that mistake because um, it was a mistake we're not perfect we're all human and and what happened from that from that was on day 19 of the 50. And then from day 20 to 50, oh man, we executed to perfection. Like it really allowed us to take, look, okay, that, that was my responsibility. I did do that. What can I change? How can I never have, how can I not give them any more ammo, even though I'm not giving them any power? How do I not give them any more hour? And how do I execute at a higher level just for me personally? And really we'll get to it, I'm sure, but that's really the, it was a personal journey, the hundred. And it was to reset my history to prove that I, I am who I said I was. And, and, and my goal was to, to silence all critics. And, and I believe we did that. Uh, so, yeah. So then you get, so you do that, you crash, you finally make it through, you get it done. Uh, during the pandemic, you have another brilliant idea. I'm sure, I'm sure when these come up, the first time you, <laughs> the first time you mentioned this dream to others in your household, it probably brings some questions, some weird looks, some, are you kidding me? Um, you got an idea what to do a hundred full distance uh, triathlons in a hundred days without the logistics because of the pandemic, I'm sure too, of going to, well, there's not even a hundred States. Uh, so <laughs> without, without moving around, you did a, you committed to a hundred and a hundred days. Let's talk a bit about that journey. Why? And, and maybe some, some high points and low points. Yeah. Cause the reality is, is the, the, we set out on the 50 for me personally, I was like, I want to find my physical mental limits and, and early, I mean, day one, of, of the 50 chaos sets in confusion sets in logistics sets in. And then we realized the enormity of what we were trying to accomplish. And so I truly, it, it wasn't the, 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 the 140.6 miles every day that was breaking me. It was the, the less than four hours of sleep. It was the, the logistics, the travel. And so, so I thought to myself, okay, we made some mistakes on the 50. I've always said I wanted to redo the 50, but never wanted really to redo the 50. Um, and so I said, I said, okay, um, if I, if I remove chaos, if I put systems in team in place, can I double what everybody thought was impossible? And can we go try to defy logic? Because I thought to myself, if I control the environment, if I have uh, all the best systems in place and I have a, a robust team around me and I can sleep in my own bed and uh, I know the course really well, could we double what everybody <laughs> thought was impossible? And so really we set out on, the, on this journey, you know, got the team back together. It'd been five years and I'd taken five years off because we've been traveling. Our, our focus had shifted to all the speaking and coaching that we were doing. My plan worked to separate ourselves from, from others. 
Um, and really, we did a really quick training camp to get ready, uh, just four months. Um, and I, I, I was coming from a place of where I wasn't building on the the foundational fitness blocks that I had done. And I'd, I'd gotten not complacent, but just busy, and it wasn't a priority. Um, and so four months was not enough time to prepare for this. And I, I was going to rely on my experience, my team, and my my mindset, and because we had, we developed a bulletproof mindset um, to this point. And you know, you quickly ramp up training and the first thing that happens when you ramp up training is an injury and i i got a little ankle injury um that i just had an mri done and it's torn i might have torn ankle um and i didn't tell anybody about it because we'd already committed to it and there's so many balls in the air um, that we just started on march 1st and holy cow i mean within the first five days that ankle had swollen up and shot up into my shins which led to stress fractures which I mean, on day five, there's a picture of me sitting on my fireplace mantle, just like huge ankles, tons of swelling, obviously a lot of inflammation, which equals pain, um, staring down the barrel of 95 consecutive more to go. And you're just, you're just broken. Um, and you're like, okay, we gotta, we gotta figure this out because, you know, we, we always attach a charity to what we're doing. And, and this one was more meaningful than all the ones combined in the past, in my opinion, um, it was for human sex trafficking and, and human slavery. And it's just shocking in 2022 that that's even a, that's even a reality for for some people. And we partnered with a, a un, unbelievable organization that you know well. You've done some filming with them and some, um, I, I think, some award-winning documentaries, if I'm not mistaken, uh, yeah. with oper with Operation Underground Railroad and Tim Ballard. And and you know his his journey is is spectacular. And he's he found out that he was, you know, there was so much red tape uh, with inside the government agencies, and so he started his own thing and. He understood how to do these thing operations and take down the bad guys that are that are taking these kids and, and adults and, and using them as, as sex trafficking. And it was just tragic. And so, uh, so unbelievable through the, the journey of the three months of the 100 days, um, we raised half a million dollars. And that that equals lives saved. And that is such an unbelievable realization. And and the suffering all become becomes worth it. And and everything that you do, because, you know, with the things that we do, there's a fine there's a finish line. There's a finish line, and we know when our suffering is going to end, and and it's it's hard to put in the words or rationalize or, or or understand someone that they have no idea when their suffering is going to come to a close, and and to me that is the ultimate. Th those people have the ultimate mindset and just just unbelievable because they truly they don't know what, when that suffering is going to end. And so I have so much respect and admiration for those that that continue to fight. Uh, on their journey, and I'm so grateful that we have an opportunity, and there's organizations in place to to rescue these people, and that we had an opportunity to create those funds to make that possible. Uh, I love it. I mean, it, it's so interesting that uh, when even in like a workout, if I go, if I'm out of town and with someone else at someone else's gym or whatever, and like we go with a trainer or even like an online workout or something, and they don't say like, all right, three sets of 10 or like, hey, we're going to do this for 50 seconds. It's just like, and you don't know when it's going to end. It's miserable. Like you're like, no, I don't, I hate this. I can't <laughs> imagine like Navy SEALs and stuff in that training. I mean, you've read a lot about it and heard a lot about it too. Like yeah. you have no freaking clue what's next. And that that is one of the greatest forms of torture is is not having any clue i mean much like the holocaust and all these atrocities or prisoners of war like just not knowing when it's going to end is i mean that's 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 mind-blowing um so your ankle like blows up and what is it day five you said yeah by day five it had shot up into both shins um which ultimately turned into stress fractures um and we were just waiting waiting for a miracle to happen i remember on day 15 um, after passing out multiple times on the run course from pain, um, my team was there to catch me. We'd read reset. We had a mantra, here we go. And anytime we said, here we go, we'd have a total mind body reset. Um, and then we'd keep going. And I'd repeat that process till I made it to the finish line that night. I remember day 15, I went home. I looked at Sunny and I said, I don't think, I don't think I can manage that level of pain for 85 more days. And what she said changed the entire complexity of the campaign. She said, you don't have to. And she said, you've put a team around you. I need you to trust in that team. I need you to trust in me. We're going to take care of you. All you have to do is show up tomorrow and start because we have no idea when the next miracle is going to present itself. And really, it became a, a, a campaign of, look, all we have to do is show up tomorrow. All we have to do is trust in the team that we've put around us. And if we keep doing that, a miracle will happen. If we keep doing that, we're going to keep crossing finish lines. And eventually, we're going to make it to our goal. And so that that became the entire campaign and a miracle ended up happening. I mean, we got these, um, you know, custom 
not to us, but custom, you know, they make custom uh, carbon plated chin braces and um, unbelievable technology. And they didn't have a custom one for me. We didn't have time to make a custom one. And so they, they got one that was made for somebody else. And they said, Hey, this isn't going to fit, but try it on. And over the next 26 miles, we're going to machine mill that you're going to take it on and off and we're going to get it to where it completely offloads your bone and that chin bone. And you can do a marathon a day, giving that, that bone an opportunity to heal and continue on this journey. And I ended up being in that shin brace for five weeks um, as we were doing 140 miles a day, allowing, giving my body an opportunity, the tools it needed to recover. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure no doctor would have recommended that, but I, I, it's incredible that you were able to get it. I'm sure it, uh, I'm sure it helped a ton. Um, t- tell us about uh, having that experience. You told me, remember you tell me you end up having to walk a lot of the, you know, the the marathons at the end. And but there's a really cool, like unique blessing that came out of that too. Yeah, it, it was amazing. Um, you know, one of the one of the big things I wanted to do was showcase our fitness, showcase our athleticism. And it was so hard on me that early in the campaign, I had to throttle everything way back and, and go a lot slower on the run that I wanted to. Um, and then, you know, every single day, people would come from around the world and join us. They wanted to be part of what we were doing because they, they recognized that if we completed this thing, it was going to be sports endurance history. And, and every single day without fail, multiple people would come up to me. I mean, I hadn't publicized this yet, and so they weren't like collaborating together. But they would come up to me and they would say, "You know what? We're so grateful that you're that we're, we're sorry that you're injured, but we're grateful that you're injured and that you have to walk, because we wouldn't have been able to join you. We're we're not we're not fast. We're, we're, we don't have that ability, and we're so grateful that you had to slow down so that we could be part of this journey and it's blessing our lives. And and it really hit me at a super high level that, you know, we live in a very fast-paced world. And, and we're, we're always moving, we're always grinding, we're always trying to get to the next. And, and throughout the course of the 100, I, I realized that it's okay to slow down. And it's okay to stop and talk to the people along the way and, and have interactions and experiences with people. And sometimes the greatest blessing or blessings come from when we do slow down. And we take a moment to take in our surroundings instead of just rushing to the next finish line and rushing to the next milestone or the next, you know, big goal. It's, it's, I truly learned one of the, the biggest things that I've learned looking back on the past 15 years is it is, it's cliche, but it is about the people you meet. It is about the experiences that you have. It is about that journey. And I'm, I've, I have some regret and I won't be too hard on myself, but I have some regret about, about trying to get to the next world record as fast as I can and try. I've missed opportunities to interact and engage and to experience and learn from other people. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just the teacher. I think all of these experiences we have are mutually benefit. And, and we, we grow just as much, if not more from the people and experiences that we get to have with the people that and, and embark with us on our journey. Love it. Uh, I'm not going to spill all the details because they'll get all the details in the documentary. So uh, we that will we're in the documentary that we're doing together. That's that's it. And so I, I, one thing I, I think we should we should not leave out and we should close on is um, when you finished that, you accomplished a goal. And not only that, you went out by yourself and a couple friends and did one hundred and one just for like to put a pin in it. Um, what? Tell us, you know, how, how that left your body and your mind. I mean, cause it doesn't take much to realize that that would probably, that would break you and it, and it did. So talk a little bit about like what that, what, and then what some of the journey has been to sort of heal. Yeah. First I want to say like, we didn't do one-on-one. It wasn't pre-planned for months and months and months. It was a very last minute week of decision. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't with the intent to, to show off or brag. It was, look, I, I'm in this, I'm in this motivational space. I'm a, I'm a public speaker. I'm, we do mindset coaching and I try to set the best example I know how for my kids. And at the end of the day, um, I, I, I didn't believe I could get up on stage and, and, and teach the message of you have one more in you when you're broken, defeated, if I didn't do it myself. And, and I try to teach my kids that, look, you lead from the front. You set the example for those around you because we, you never know when somebody's watching. And obviously, lot, lot, excuse me, a lot of people were watching. And at the very last minute, we decided that we were going to get up and, and do one more because um, sometimes you have to get up one more when you're broken 
and defeated and, and you don't want to. And like we just discussed, we don't know how many times you're going to have to get up and do one more. And that's the beautiful thing about time. Time eventually passes and on most things, if not all things, come to pass. And then we get to move on to the next chapter of our lives. And the next chapter of, of my journey was recovery. Uh, I, I talk extensively about the different phases of, of a journey and there's preparation in the beginning and then there's execution and then there's post-recovery learning and, and analysis. And coming out of the 50, I mean the 100, uh, instant realization of how powerful the mind is and everything that it was masking and hiding. Um, I, I came out of the, after the 101 and day 102, 103, 104, 105 were terrifying. Um, you realize how powerful the mind is and what it was protecting you from. Um, and then you fall into this state of you know anxiety and confusion and depression and sadness and all these, all these emotions because you've been so hyper-focused. Uh, on this one thing and then in overnight it disappears and and a lot of people fall into the trap of this one thing defines who I am and we need to be careful how we navigate those waters and for me one of the you know a lot of things happen I've had concussions in my career and there was a catastrophic event in the hundred that we won't talk about here um, but it, it it plays a toll on your body and your mind specifically and those concussions and the protective state that I was forced to go into intentionally um, created some some brain fatigue and some neurological issues that I'm so grateful we had access to world-class and, and world-leading teams here in, in Utah about cognitive therapy and resetting those neurological pathways. Um, it's, it's, it's been a journey and I'm still dealing with with a little bit of brain fog and confusion, but I'm grateful that that, that therapy was available and I did. I got my brain reset, man. I mean, that's crazy to think and, and say, but it feels like I got my life back. And and I now, everybody always asks me what's next. So I'll save you <laughs> uh, from asking me that. But everybody always asks what's next. And for me, it's what's next doesn't always have to be in the same category. What's next is always the learning and growth that we experience and how many people we can impact and, and bring to the mountaintop of success. Because I truly believe, I heard um, Michael Strahan say it the other day on a podcast uh, with Ed Milet. He said, um, the mountaintop of success, it's flat and there's room for everybody up there. It's not, it's not reserved for a select elite few that were maybe destined for it, right? It's, it's for everybody. And, and I've now shifted my what's next is to help as many people experience the milestones and, and what, what the growth looks like to achieve those milestones. I want to help as many people as I can achieve their version of heart, whatever it is, whatever it might be. And that, and that and that's that's become our passion. And so we've become coaches and and mentors. And and we just try to we're not perfect, man. We fail every single day, uh, but we try to lead from the front and we decide to try to set the best example, mainly for our five kids, uh, because they're they're going to be they're going to be the next generation that goes on in this world. And rep, I mean, they, who knows? This next generation, someone's going to be president from that generation, and and who knows if that one person is watching you and the ultimate example of, of hope that you can provide for them. And so that, that's what's next for us is really help as many people as we can. Um, it's so fun to be at the top by yourself. And so try to bring as many people as long with you as you can. Uh, a great message from a great guy, James Lawrence. Thank you so much for joining us. If people want to learn more, I know you've got books, you've got other things. Where would you direct them first to learn more? Yeah, our, our website, ironcowboy.com. And then we post most things, if not all things, on our social media our biggest platform is um, Iron Cowboy James is the handle. So please come there and you can dive in and find out all the courses that we offer, the coaching that we do, the races that we put on, the mindset retreats that we do, the very exciting documentary that we're going to be releasing hopefully later this year. Um, I, man, I, I'm hopeful and, and very proud of the work that we did, the work that the team has done. Um, Nick stepping up and and bringing this thing to the, the finish line. I mean, just, I can't wait for the, the the story to be shared and the messages to be taught me too man thanks so much for joining me and i'll see you all next time on now to next take care hey nick nanton here and thanks for tuning in to now to next i want to make sure you don't miss a single episode of this show on youtube so be sure to subscribe to our channel and ring the bell to get notified about our latest videos you'll have the option to be notified for occasional videos or all of them if you're on your phone just go into your settings and switch on notifications thanks for watching